I'm reading from Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 to 12. And it's the familiar story of the visit of the wise men. As we've said earlier, this is Epiphany Sunday. This is a time of, um, of, sh- of, of showing forth of, of revelation. And in this case, it was the revelation of Jesus to the wise men. When Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophets have written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and make a careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and of incense and of myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. And we're talking about finding the real Jesus this morning. You know, Matthew 2, this chapter that I've just read, is full of amazingly vivid images um, of night travel in the days of, of camels and, and pack mules, of a great star, and of dreams, and of visions, and of real and very present danger. And it all centres around this newborn baby and the people searching for him. And it's appropriate that the wise men had to journey following the star, because for us, finding Jesus is a journey too. So what were they all looking for? What did they expect? What was the reality that they found? People then, in in the, the days of Jesus, tried to make him something that he isn't, And they can do that now too. We can see him and and people often talk of Jesus as a good man, you know, full of compassion for the needy, a great teacher, a miracle worker. And he is all that, but so much more. We can promote 
a Jesus who is accepting, forgiving, a peacemaker. In fact, he's, he's actually the epitome of the Beatitudes that um, he himself preached and a lot of people like to quote. And they also like to quote, love your neighbour as yourself, as a good, something good to aim for. But he's more than that. So let's stay with the wise men for a bit. What were they looking for and what did they find? Well, we know they travelled in darkness because they had to follow this unusual and highly significant star. It's like a portent of a royal birth in Judea, a great birth. And they expected, we know they did, to find the newborn king of the Jews, very understandably, in Herod's palace in Jerusalem. They no doubt thought that he'd be laid in some elaborately carved cradle and wrapped up in the finest of linen and silk with a bevy of nursemaids and guards around him. But when they got their directions right, when they recalibrated, if you like, um, and darkness fell, they set off after their own celestial satnav, the star which they were following. And then they arrived in Bethlehem. So what did they find there? Certainly found a baby, but in a simple place, wrapped as ordinary babies always were, in swaddling clothes, like a little mummy, with a young peasant couple, Mary and Joseph. But they knew that this was the king that they were looking for. The star was right overhead, and we know that they rejoiced in the AV, it says, with exceeding great joy in this version. They were overjoyed. And we don't know what they saw in that little face as they looked at him. Um, the Bible is, is quite economical with words sometimes, and it sounds rather decorous and quiet, but it probably wasn't. They probably crowded in, falling on their knees in worship, and probably quite loud. Um, with all their retinue and rejoicing and all the camels outside and everything. And we know they must have stayed overnight in the local inn or caravanserai because they dreamed, Uh, as did Joseph, like his Old Testament namesake. They dreamed, and the dream was full of warning and full of of, uh, potential danger because God was acting to safeguard his precious little son, and protect him, protect the saviour of the world from the murderous men who were after him before the proper time. We know that eventually those murderous men did catch up with him, but not then. That wasn't the right time. And Mary must have been exhausted, but full of wonder and praise that God had led them straight there to find the real king of the Jews. And the treasures they gave him those valuable treasures, well, they needed them, didn't they? Because they had to go off to Egypt and live there for a while. So what a provision God made for them there. Other visitors had been already. The shepherds from out in the local fields. Um, If you go to Bethlehem and the district above and into the fields um, in the hills, you look down on the little town and... They were startled, as we know, out of their wits by this angelic visitor 
and a great choir of angels singing praises to God. And they were told that the saviour of mankind was down there in that little town in a manger, Christ the Lord. So what did they expect? And what did they find? Maybe some grandeur or something startling. We don't know, but we know they rejoiced over what they found there, what they saw there when they found the baby. And then later on, Herod's men, what were they expecting? A rival court um, set up round some usurper? What did they look for? Uh, they hardly knew. And what did they find? They didn't find him. He was spirited away to safety. And the little ones they slaughtered, they must have known the real Jesus couldn't have been all of them, but could possibly be among them. And of course they were, were not being guided as the wise men were. So time went by and Herod died. Mary and Joseph brought the baby back and settled in Galilee, in Nazareth, steering clear of um, Herod's family, again being warned in a dream. And then uh, Jesus' cousin, John the Baptist, who made it clear that he himself was not the Christ, but one was to come, so much greater than he. And he identified Jesus, somebody who looked like them, and a carpenter's son, but he identified him as the Lamb of God who takes the sin away the sin of the world, his true identity. You know, as Jesus was about to begin his ministry, he was targeted and attacked by Satan on this very point. Who was he really? That's what Satan came up against him with frequently. If you are the Son of God, if you are the Son of God, demonstrate your power to the world. Do it my way. Get an instant, huge following. If you are the Son of God, and Jesus dismissed Satan then, and he wouldn't allow people who did recognise him and recognise who he was to proclaim it publicly because he wanted people to believe in him for themselves, to come to faith in him themselves. And many, particularly the Jewish leaders, never saw who the real Jesus was. They knew who they thought he was. They knew also who they thought the Christ should be, and it wasn't him. Uh, George MacDonald, a, a poet, wrote, they were all looking for a king to slay their foes and lift them high. You came a little baby thing that made a woman cry. So the real Jesus, he was truly man. He had to be to enter our world and become our saviour. The Christ that the Jews were looking for was a kind of superhero, the Messiah, the Anointed One, some glorious delivery, deliverer of his people. And there was a heresy going around in the first century that um, it was called Docetism, that Jesus wasn't really human, that he only appeared to be. But we know he was. We know that he got tired, he got thirsty, he wept with the grief of Mary and Martha. He wept over Jerusalem that was so uh, stubbornly resisting 
God's grace and mercy. Not only was he a man, he was a carpenter's son and the Jews thought, as I said, that they knew exactly who he was. They knew his parents, they knew Mary and Joseph. And uh, he had to be an imposter or he had to be a charlatan if he claimed to be anything other than that or in any way to have a special relationship to God despite the miracles because he broke the strict and the meticulous Sabbath laws. He mixed with wildly unsuitable and sinful people. He said outrageous things as far as they were concerned about things like being one with the Father. He caused havoc in the temple when he rid it of of all the commerce that was going on in there. And this was a clincher for them. He couldn't be the Christ because, as they believed, he came from Nazareth. And the Christ had to come from Bethlehem. They didn't know the story that we've just read. Of course, there had been that little Ferrari years ago around Bethlehem, they, they remembered, when these strange folk came looking for a new king, but that had all been dealt with and wiped out. So this man, he actually needed to be shut down too. And yes, they, they saw the miracles, but not that they were signs, signs of Jesus' identity. And there were others especially among the ordinary people who who were convinced by Jesus' teaching and healing that he was the Christ, especially those who had a personal encounter with him, like, like the man we talked about to the children, the man born blind. He was closely questioned by the authorities after that healing. Well, his parents were questioned first, um, because they'd already declared that anyone saying that Jesus was the Christ would be thrown out of the synagogue. And they said to him, come on, we all know this man's a sinner. But he maintained, I don't know who or what he is. I only know what he did for me. And later we know that Jesus met with him and told him who he was. And the man believed and worshipped. Paul the Apostle, he thought he knew who Jesus was. He thought he knew that he was not only an imposter, he was a criminal. Until he was stopped in his tracks by his own encounter with the risen Jesus on the road to Damascus. But you know, many of of Jesus' followers still tried to make him be the Christ of, of popular belief. They tried to make him who they thought he should be. He should be a deliverer from Roman oppression. He should be their king who had established a powerful earthly kingdom, somebody of David's line and caliber. And they tried to make him king on on one occasion, and he had to escape out of their clutches. Even his own disciples thought he was going to restore Israel. They said to him, Lord, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel at this time? They wanted to make him somehow in their own image, and he wouldn't conform. You know, people still do it, even church people. Paul talked about people who have a form of godliness and deny the power thereof, meaning that, you know, the more acceptable parts of Jesus' life and teaching are dwelt on, but the more uncompromising bits about the sin that he came to redeem us from and the lordship 
over our lives that belongs to Jesus, that isn't acceptable or so acceptable. The real Son of God has really taken upon himself the sins of the world because we need saving. But there were times in the Gospels when the veil did slide back and people saw Jesus in his power and his glory. And actually, one of the people who saw that was that Roman centurion who stood by the cross as Jesus died. And when he saw the way he died, he said, surely this man was the Son of God. And then there was that time in the boat when um, the disciples were absolutely in, in, in a state of panic because they were, the, the boat was filling with water, they couldn't get to shore, um, Jesus was asleep, and they shook him awake, and they said, don't you care, we're, Master, we're going to perish? And then Jesus stood up, and we know he spoke to the winds and the waves and stilled them completely, and they, they were struck. They said, what, what sort of person is this? that even the winds and the waves obey him. This was somebody of a totally different order. And there was Peter's moment of, of revelation when Jesus said to his disciples, who do you say that I am? Who do you think I am? And Peter said, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And, and Jesus explained to him that this was a revelation that God had given him. And there was the transfiguration when Peter, James and John went up on the mountain with Jesus and he was transfigured and he shone with unearthly light and he was talking to Moses and Elijah and they didn't know how to handle that. Um, after they kind of recovered, Peter sort of babbled, let's, let's build some shrines, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. They really didn't know how, how to handle that. And, of course, the resurrection. After going through the agonising, dreadful, grief-stricken time of the crucifixion, Jesus came back to them, risen and glorified, and, and they were, we know, absolutely overjoyed and transfigured themselves. But even though we know these stories... I think there are times when we can still try to make Jesus in our own image to some extent, or, or perhaps when we struggle to know who he really is. Times when we doubt his immense love for us or his concern for what troubles us because maybe that seems too small or because it looms too large and we're not getting answers right now. Or we failed yet again, slipped up. Or times when we doubt his power and his willingness to act, or, or he seems distant. Times when we aren't acknowledging that he is Lord and unwilling to yield to the Lord, his lordship because we are following our own agenda. Times when we want him on our own terms, or we've made him smaller than he really is. Jesus wants us to know him, the real Jesus. And when we do, we begin to be the real people that God made us to be. Not who we think we ought to be, but who God knows we ought to be.
He's in the business of transforming us. When Peter met Jesus, he thought he knew who he was himself, a fisherman, a flawed person, unworthy of Jesus' acquaintance. But Jesus didn't leave him there. Through all his experiences as he followed Jesus, Peter was being changed to be who he was always meant to be. He was a, became a leader of the church, a fisher of men, as Jesus had told him he would be, a disciple of the Lord. And as that happens in us, we become living, breathing adverts for our wonderful Heavenly Father. And it glorifies him because it's him that's brought it about. And it's an ongoing process. But God is at work in us. And we are on that journey like the wise men. He's bring, bringing us to where he wants us to be. To know him more and more. Philippians says, He who has begun a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. And it goes on, Continue to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work within you to will and act according to his good purposes. So it's like a journey. And a, and a bit like a race, too, where we're going for gold. Philippians 3.13 is a great word for this new year as we begin it. Paul says, One thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Prize isn't out of our reach because God says if we're really seeking him we will always find him we'll always find the real the living Lord Jesus not finding a stained glass version of him nor a simply just simply a great man whose life and teachings are a good example to follow if you leave out the supernatural bits but the Lord the Saviour, the King, who we can know now, today, in this 21st century, and receive into our own hearts and lives to become like him. Do you know, actually, the angels told the shepherds exactly who he was. They said, Unto you is born this day in the city of David a Saviour, who is Christ the Lord. Let's go and find him, was their response. And may we, each of us, all of us, say with Paul, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. He says, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection, yes, and his suffering, that I might become like him. It's finding the real Jesus is finding our real selves in him. Amen.